It's that time. Everything and anything basketball. Presented by The Outrage. With Cajun Furitani Castleman and host Spencer Byers. This is Polar Opposites. Welcome, everyone. Polar Opposites back again, Thursday edition. We ended up missing Monday, so there only will be one this week. If uh, I'll say Cajun's had a lot of stuff going on. I've been busy with work. Um, the next two weekends, we're actually rather busy, too. We got some volleyball commentaries coming up this weekend and next weekend. So rather busy coming up, Cage. Rather busy in the, in the previous weeks. So mm-hmm. we haven't been able to get in the lab. We are happy to be in the lab today. So, you know, we'll get straight into it. Hopefully we're able to post two next week in between our uh, volleyball dates with York and Sheridan, or Sheridan, Univers- or Sheridan College and York University, respectively. But um, mm. we will start off with, again, a rather sad topic, but it, I think it has to be started off with Dejan Milanovic passed away. Assistant coach of the Golden State Warriors had a heart attack at a team dinner. Um, just a few days ago and has passed away at age 46. He spent three seasons with the organization and uh, our hearts and thoughts go out to the Golden State Warriors family, obviously Milanovic's family as well, of course. Um, it is obviously devastating cage for uh, a coach or teammate to pass away at such a young age, 246. Um, but it was at a team dinner too. Mm-hmm. So that that also adds to it. And yesterday's game for the Warriors was postponed against Utah. Um, I don't know when the next time the Warriors will actually play a game, to be honest with you, will be um, because of this rather sudden news. And I don't know when we should expect them to play again, to be honest with you. Well, I think that's the heartbreaking part. One, he's young, just 46. Um, and he was a big part of that 2022 title team. Um, I was just watching a, I was just watching this on YouTube and Bob Myers hired him. Um, and you could tell his voice was quavering, like his voice was shaking when he was talking about him because he doesn't feel like it's real. I can't imagine how his wife and kids are feeling right now because she has to go without, she has to live life now without her husband and his kids know, his kids don't have a father right now. But he does leave behind a big legacy and It's just heartbreaking. Like when when I when it came out that the game was postponed, I'm like, oh, like you kind of knew you kind of knew it was like like you knew based off of the details that had come out. I'm like, they they were not like nobody was in this in the right state of mind to play a game that day, especially since it happened at a team dinner, players, coaching staff. Maybe executives were there too. Like they all witnessed him having a heart attack. They all witnessed that. 
and it's just sad to see it's just sad to see it's just sad to see this happen and he also mentored um Nikola Jokic too so his he's left an imprint on a lot of the NBA especially like the European players Bogdan Bogdanovich didn't really have much to like couldn't really say much Mike Brown was heartbroken Darko Ryakovich I believe spoke about him too um yeah thoughts and prayers go out to Malahovic and his family because 46 is way too young of an age to die that it is um you know uh I don't really know where else to go from it from your cage because obviously I think we will talk about the Warriors because their season still hasn't gone the way they wanted to but um, that's, that's that's in the rear view mirror case, and, and then I agree with you, Cage. So I don't even know if we'll touch the Warriors now because of obviously this news. Um, I will also mention that the private team dinner was in Utah because again they were going to play against the Utah Jazz yesterday, and that obviously did not occur. Um, so I guess we'll just see when we see the Warriors next on the floor, and maybe this is you know maybe this can galvanize. The team is uh, Draymond Green recently came out and said after returning from his um, indefinite suspension that there's just no pride within the team. Maybe as sad as this is, maybe this can be the turning point. And I hate to take it from that angle. I, I really do hate saying all of those words in that particular order. But sometimes teams just need that one thing, that one, you know, that one commonality between everybody mm-hmm. and, and this can, you know, th- this can be the catalyst to maybe the Warriors finally clicking into that top gear. We all know they have with Steph Curry with the new addition of CP three, uh, Chris Paul, Draymond, hopefully not being able to get suspended. Uh, Wiggins and be finding his game again, Clay Thompson finding his game again, you know, the Warriors, I expect, will be a different team when they come back to the floor, whenever that may be, if that's in the coming couple of days, if that's next week, if if that's, you know, later this month. Well, you also got to wonder, they don't, they play tomorrow. I wouldn't be shocked if that game got postponed too. But they also don't play until the 24th. So I had to think about that angle, but it's always like in, at the back of your mind, back of your mind at the same time. I think to me, it's just like, that's just secondary. That's just secondary. Um, and it is going to take, like there is going to have to be a, a whole lot of counseling and therapy involved in this because to see someone suffer a heart attack right in front of you and eventually die is not something you can unsee 
and more or less so than basketball, I worry about the well-being of everybody involved because that is not a sight people should see. Definitely not Cage again. Dehan Milanovic, pardon me. Um, Our respects go to his family. Um, Steve Kerr mentioned them in his presser. Wife Natasha, um, sons Nicola and Massa. So um, thoughts go out to them, of course, and the Milanovic family. And hopefully, I I guess I'll, I'll just stop there, Cage. Our respects go out to them. Our thoughts are with them. And we'll we'll move on now to as much as sometimes you want to end with with heartfelt things. Some I, I like to start with them, get them, I'll say, out of the way, kind of, you know, say we all saw it. Let's talk about it a little bit. And now let's move on to, you know, I'll say I'll say let's move on to basketball. Mm-hmm. The Toronto Raptors have finally made another trade. We talked about it the last two weeks, at least since OG and Obi has been traded, that when was Pascal Siakam going to be traded? When was the next domino going to fall for the Raptors? And it happened yesterday. The Toronto Raptors have finally traded Pascal Siakam. And it was a trade that I've seen mixed reviews on, to be honest. This one was a lot more mixed than the OG and Obi trade. The OG and Obi trade cage, basically everybody, Said the Raptors win this going away. This is not like no one really got it from the Knicks angle. Yeah, you get you you get a, a really good player and a better defensive player, but you're losing two guys that are really good, and you're losing some. I I believe they lost technically a couple second round picks in the end, but still losing Barrett and quickly, two really good players. You know mm-hmm. the Knicks trade for the Knicks angle of the trade didn't look great. This one's a little more different. The Raptors trade Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers, a team you and I are a big fan of. The Raptors acquire Bruce Brown, Kira Lewis Jr., and Jordan Nawara. Lewis coming from the Pelicans after a trade earlier in the day between the Pelicans and the Pacers. Now, the Pacers sent them a second-round pick for Lewis to add him into this trade. The Raptors also get three first-round picks. They get basically their own first-round picks back in 2024. Oh, the Pacers are sending their own 2024 and 2026 draft picks to Toronto, along with the worst 2024 draft pick from one of the Houston Rockets, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Utah Jazz, or the Los Angeles Clippers. And you'd expect from what the season's looking like right now, Cage, that pick will either be a Thunder first-round pick or a Clippers first-round pick, depending on who goes farther in the playoffs once we get there. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, again... Can you really argue that the Raptors got worse with this trade? And yes, Pascal Siakam's the best player in this trade. And that's no offense to a guy you really like in Bruce Brown and a guy that I, I don't mind in Bruce Brown. But you get three first-round picks to add to your, your cabinet of draft picks that the Raptors have needed to accrue. You've mm-hmm. got a guy like Bruce Brown who's going to probably come off the bench or maybe start and send Gary Trent back to the bench, Gary Trent Jr. Jordan Noir is going to get minutes as a, a long defensive small forward. I don't know where Kira Lewis is going to fit in. Maybe just another guard that can kind of find his role in this, you know, pretty deep Raptors team now, because as you and I spoke about a little bit yesterday before um, just, just you and I com- uh, just having a conversation, you know, the Raptors team now is really deep. They have a lot of guys in the same tier of player. And, and maybe that's not just deep, but it's also now it's going to be interesting to see who kind of, 
breaks away from the pack between guys like Noora, Grady Dick, Jaden McDaniels, um, or Jalen, pardon me, McDaniels. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be really interesting to see Cage Vidal. I'll ask you, what do you think of this Raptors Pacers trade? Who do you think won the trade yesterday? I think it's to be determined. And why I say to be determined is, one, the Pacers definitely got better. And they did not have to give up Matherin and Jarius Walker in the process. They didn't really have to give up any of their young guys. Um, and then Indiana team's going to look scary when they run up and down the floor um, when Halliburton gets healthy but why I say to be determined is will he resign with the will Siakam resign with the Pacers because that to me is the all important question because if he doesn't resign you, you resign you basically gave up Bruce Brown, Jordan Noir, and three first-round picks for a rental. And and that kind of is what drove down his value cage, is that he is a, a pending, you know, UFA. He is a pending free agent, unrestricted. So and it was known that he wanted to test out free agency. Yeah, exa- exactly. He kind of openly said that he would not immediately sign a new deal with whoever traded for him if he was to be traded. I know that rumor had been out there for a while. That's why some teams were kind of, Worried to trade for Seth Pascal Siakam and, and definitely kind of kicked the tires, but didn't really want to get in the car. You know, they looked at the car, looked at the paint, and went, you know, we'll look at another model. And the Knicks went an OG in an Obi's way. But mm-hmm. the Pacers are planning to pursue Siakam once he becomes a free agent in the summer. So this could be a long-term thing. We'll see if Pascal enjoys his time in Indiana and if it's a fruitful season, because I think that will really, really impact if Siakam will stay or not. It's not like Kawhi Leonard when he was traded to Toronto, which was a surprise and, and it really didn't fit what Kawhi you'd think would have wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what Siakam would have wanted because he never really said he wanted to be traded. He was very much in the camp of, I want to stay in Toronto. I don't really want to leave. So, It'll be interesting to see what he looks like in a New Jersey for the rest of this season. And, you know, with the last, what, 42 games of the Pacers season, what the Pacers look like, you know, how he fits into their system of how fast they play with Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Matherin and and Obi Toppin and all these other guys. And Obi Toppin losing his basically spot in the rotation to Pascal Siakam now and Mm -hmm. Miles Turner, you know. So and uh, some of these guys are hurt. Halliburton been hurt recently. Um, but it'll be really interesting to see how Siakam is used, Cage. How do you think he'll be used? Do you think he'll be used that power forward spot? Do you think you could see him at center at points and play really small for the Indiana Pacers and maybe put Obi at the uh, power forward? Or how do you think Rick Carlisle, one of our favorite coaches in the NBA, is going to be able to use a skill set like Pascal Siakam? Well, Rick Carlisle's got options now, and I think for now he'll start Siakam at the four for now. Um, obviously things could change. Obviously things could change. Injuries could get in the way. 
But with a guy like Miles Turner who can stretch out the floor, you got to keep you unless he gets into foul trouble, you got to keep him on the floor. Uh, maybe they might toy around with Siakam at the three and then topping at the five and then Turner at the Turner at the four and topping at the wait, sorry, Siakam at the three, topping at the four and Turner at the five. If they want to play big bully basketball, um. But yeah, um, it's it's going to be very interesting to see how Rick Harlow handles things because he's got a ton of options now to use. He's got a ton of options now to use, and will this propel Indiana to the second round? That remains to be seen. But they definitely got better. And as for the Raptors, they finally picked a direction. They finally have offensive options, albeit maybe too many mouths to feed, but that's a better situation than not enough mouths to feed. Now, will their defense suffer because of that? Yes, although that didn't really matter against um, the Miami uh, the Miami Heat, or I should say the Miami Ice, the way they were shooting the ball. But they got younger. Long term and long term, they got better. Even before giving up the, even despite giving up the best player in this deal in Pascal Siakam, and you got value from him in spite of him driving down his value by getting three first round picks, Bruce Brown Jr., who you could either keep or move to a contender and get some draft capital out of. Jordan Noir is still young. To play that three and D role, and then you have a flyer in Kyra Lewis Jr. and he's young too. So there's finally a direction in Toronto, and I'm liking it. Well, you and I definitely were in the rebuild camp cage, and that's kind of what they've done. And and again, I will kind of preface by saying rebuild in the way Masai Ujiri is going to rebuild, which means he's going to want to get NBA bodies. Masai Ujiri has shown us in the past he does not make a trade that's going to make him exponentially worse just for potential. He doesn't do that. He expects to get NBA bodies that can contribute now but may be able to propel later. Like Bruce Brown really is what he is now. Jordan Nawara and Kira Lewis Jr. are the guys that could become something. No, I'm not necessarily likely for, for I'd say, Nawara but still can find new levels to their game and those three first-round picks, even though you'd expect the Pacers are going to be a good team in 2024 and in 2026. You never really know, Cage, because you would, if, if you would have told me, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies are going to have, what, 13 wins on the season at this point in the year? Even without John Morant for the first 25 games, I would have been surprised. I didn't think mm-hmm. that team was that bad without John Morant. I have found out, as everyone else has, this, that the Memphis Grizzlies are garbage without John Morant, and they can't win a basketball game without John Morant, who's now had, say, season-ending shoulder surgery. We don't even know what we talked about. But Memphis Grizzlies are basically gone down the gone down the tubes, if you will. So we'll see what they end up doing at the draft if they start trying to deal to, to get some NBA bodies or if they just sit and pick a top 10 player at this point, because it looks like with where, however the lottery works out, we're going to have a top 10 draft pick with John Morant and defensive player of the year, Jaron Jackson Jr. And, and Desmond, Desmond Bain is playing great. 
And like, you kind of have some pe- and you kind of have some pieces in Gigi Jackson who's played well to start things uh, who's played well in limited time and they might have found something in Vince Williams Vince Williams Jr. too. So they got some pieces down there in Memphis. So it might not it might not be a great season, great rest of the season for Memphis this year. But come next year when everybody's healthy, oh boy. It's going to be interesting, Cage. So we'll move off of the Raptors and the Pacers to another trade that happened earlier in the week. Danilo Gallinari and Mike Muscala were traded to the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons, we've talked about it on this show very, very, uh, quite a bit. We get The Pistons got to make a trade, got to get rid of some of these young guys. They have too many. You got to get some, you either got to get some more draft picks or get some older guys, some vets, some guys who can take up some minutes. And the Pistons finally do that. They get Gallinari and Muscala. They trade away Marvin Bagley. Isaiah Livers and two second round, two second round picks. I don't like the draft picks being involved, but if that's to get Danilo Gallinari, who is a really good, is a rather rather good player for what he is, and obviously the ACL injury last year with Boston definitely doesn't help that. But mm-hmm. he's a really good player, or honestly, is a rather good player. And Mike Muscala is good in his role, three and D type of guy. And yeah, also. Yeah, they, exactly. They got shooting, which they desperately needed. And no offense to Bagley or Livers, I liked Isaiah Livers' story from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Played for M, uh, UM at University of Michigan. Now he's now now he's no longer in the state of Michigan, but he's not too far. And I think technically DC, but not DC, depending on where the Wizards actually play. Because I've heard some disputes about you know DC teams not actually playing in DC. But regardless, um, I'm not going to say I think the Pistons win this trade. But I definitely think they got what they needed in this trade. Mm-hmm. They got more modern. Excuse me. They got more modern. They got more shooting. They freed up the the big rotation for now. Um, that involved Jalen Duran, Isaiah Stewart, James Wiseman, and Marvin Bagley the third. With Bagley the third gone to the Wizards, the Wizards are taking a flyer on him to see what he can do. And Isaiah Livers, because our Wizards team is rebuilding, and I wouldn't be shocked if you see many many other moves come. Will Tyus Jones be moved? Will Takah Kuzma be moved? Um. That gets really interesting, and that that's when it gets that's when it gets really interesting. Um, but Detroit, Detroit got a, De, Detroit's offense was the bigger issue, like with their offense with with it being cramped and not much of a lack of spacing. But albeit they've dealt with injuries, Boyan Bogdanovich was hurt for a bit. Monty Morris still hasn't played, but they got more shooting. And once I think the Pistons finally get healthy and Kate Cunningham comes back, this team will look a lot more respectable. Well, ironically, basically, as this trade happened, they played against each other. So it was a very long trip for... um for the Washington tr- trade pieces in Bagley and Livers, they basically just get to stay where they were playing after the game. 
And that was actually a win for Detroit. Their fourth of the season. They win 129-117, did the Pistons over the Wizards. And um, that made the Pistons fans kind of happy after Kyle Kuzma made fun of them on Twitter by saying, you know, no one wants to be the team, you know, that loses that many games or the team that loses that team who loses that many games type thing. Um, And then you look at their side of the trade cage, and I'm not sure what Isaiah Livers is going to be at the NBA level at 25. Again, a rather older, kind of younger player. But Marvin Bagley, I do like Marvin Bagley's game, former second overall pick by the Sacramento Kings. Injuries have really derailed Marvin Bagley's career. But the Pistons got, or the Washington Wizards got younger, you know. And as a, as a team that is really struggling and isn't very good, Wizards have all of seven wins. So if you add the two teams together, Cage, Detroit and the, Pist- the, the Pistons and Wizards have 11 wins total this year. And if I do quick math here, Cage, 69 losses. You know, what else can you expect from trying to get a little bit younger? Mm-hmm. And obviously needed younger cage. So who would you say won the trade? I guess we finally should get to it. Who won the trade? I think this is to be determined because the Wizards did get younger and they needed to get younger to kind of figure out which direction they want to take. But Detroit also got more shooting in the process, albeit they got older. You know what? I say the wiz- I say the Wizards. I say the Wizards won this trade because they got younger. Because they did because they did get younger and they're figuring figuring out what works for them. what works for them and although detroit got more shooting they also got older um and you would think with a more veteran team you wouldn't have four wins but yet here the pistons are albeit they've been dealing with injuries you gotta wonder do does gallinari and muscala get rerouted what happens to boyan bogdanovich what happens to alec burks what happens to Maybe Monty Morris. Do they get younger? So like, yes, they, yes, they cleared up the big man rotation in a sense, but in a way they got like, they got to figure out which way they got to go. They got to go. Like, do they reroute these veterans or do they prepare for night? Do they gear up for? Do they gear up and um, hopefully everybody gets healthy, finish the season strong, and then go back, come with some momentum next season? There's a lot more questions in Detroit after this trade. I don't think I can argue that. So I guess I would also have to agree that the wizard or that the uh, the Wizards technically won, um, because they get younger and they get two draft picks. Even though they're second rounders, you never really know with second rounders. You know, Nikola Jokic, second rounder. Some really good players have played, get drafted in the second round. So you can't really, you know, it's not like draft picks you necessarily want. But, you know, the more kicks at the can you get, the more chances you get at getting a really good player. Mm-hmm. I can't really argue with that logic. But again, we, as you said, we do like what the Pistons got and a little bit more, you know, experience and a little bit more shooting. We'll see yep. how Gallinari hasn't played yet for him. And Muscala's played sparingly 
Um, obviously, the trade just happened earlier this week. So we'll see as they get acclimated to their new teams, how those guys all work out for their respective clubs. We're now going to move on to a situation we didn't talk. We, I don't think we really talked about because of obviously it's still being uh, investigated. Josh Giddy, who allegedly, and I'll say allegedly, allegedly had uh, had an, I'll say an entanglement, but it had had allegations of being involved with a female minor. And you saw the picture. I'll say I'll pick. I'll say picture or pictures were kind of floating around social media about Josh Giddy and all the jokes like made made fun of of Josh Giddy, which you know is going to happen. You're going to get memed when you know certain things are made are brought to light, even if they're not true. Mm. And the reason why I say maybe not true is because uh, Newport Beach Police Department announced Wednesday, so as today is Thursday, yesterday. You know, that they were not, they were unable to corroborate any criminal activity to Giddy. And he's been basically, I'll say, he's been not charged. The police could not find any actual evidence, so they did not charge him. So Giddy is now free and clear of this. And um, the NBA also launched their own investigation on Josh Giddy. He has not been suspended. He's missed one game for Oklahoma City, the Thunder, this year. He's played in every other game other than just one, and that wasn't because of suspension or anything. So, you know, I guess good for Josh Giddy to finally have this all behind him. And maybe as a 21-year-old kid, you know, just getting acclimated to the NBA, you know, it's a little bit of a lesson of be very, very careful what situations you put yourself in even going to a club or going out because these things can still happen. The allegations, because mm. without saying got Josh Giddy did or did not do this, I will let the police let figure that part of the thinking out. I will just say, I hope Josh Giddy learns that you cannot put yourself in these situations, especially as a basketball player, as a professional athlete that is being paid millions, that has an opportunity to make more millions. Mm-hmm. You can't allow off the court to affect on the court. And that almost happened with Josh Giddy. Yeah. So, Cage, I guess I'll ask you quick before we just kind of move off of this because it's more of a, a news topic than it is a discussion topic. But do you think that this could not maybe propel Josh Giddy's season, but, you know, kind of take a lift off or take a, a, a pressure off his shoulders, take a take a load off of his shoulders, you know, coming into the second half of the season? I mean, obviously you have to think so. Obviously you have to think so. Um, that it would... Um... That's something you can move forward from if you're Josh Giddy. But my issue still stands. How this was covered. How this is covered, and I hate to put race into this, but aside from like me, like Miles Bridges was talked about in great detail. Kevin Porter Jr. was talked about in great detail. And that even came out that, like, the fractured vertebrae that 
his ex-girlfriend got didn't even come from Kevin Porter Jr. himself and that the DEA pressed charges when she didn't want to. So that's a whole other mess in itself. But And then, like we mentioned, like weeks, like months ago, Sean Taylor and how that was covered. My issue is, my issue still stands in that I have a problem with that, with how it's covered. And like for like it should there should have been the same energy for Josh Kitty in terms of like maybe suspended for a couple of games. But there was not a peep in terms of this. And I think that's kind of been like the NBA's MO. They like I think the NBA is just like they care more about their brand and, and more about their bag than actual issues. And um, maybe I'm kind of like previewing this, but as in the case in point, a certain member of the New York Knicks as well. Well, actually, Cage, that's a perfect segue. We'll move on to James Dolan the owner of the New York Knickerbockers. He, you know, so I will go back. We all know that James Dolan and the New York Knicks have sued the Toronto Raptors for having sensitive information. We know that. That has been in the news. We talked about, we talked about it on this very show on Polar Opposites. Yesterday, a woman alleged that James Dolan, known owner of the New York Knicks, sexually assaulted her over a decade ago. And it was set up by Harvey Weinstein, who oh former film producer, now in prison for his own sexual assault allegations. And I mean, I'm not going to say anything again about the allegation. I will let the courts do that for us, Cage. But no one likes James Dolan. James Dolan will never get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to basically anything with the New York Knicks because he is such a hands-on owner and all of the turmoil he's caused for the team and the the lack of winning and all the other things that are sport-related and aren't sport-related. Like when he kicked out Charles Oakley, former New York Knick, former favorite of the New York Knick faithful at Madison Square Garden, kicked him out of the arena. Rather publicly kicked him out of the arena. Has had run-ins with superfan Spike Lee in the past on Twitter and I think in in person at the Garden. So mm-hmm. James Dolan will never get the benefit of the doubt when it comes to just about anything. But to continue with this particular allegation, in 2013, Kelly Croft, a 27-year-old massage therapist, was working with some bands, and Dolan is obviously the owner of MSG, Madison Square Garden. So he books bands and books, you know, all of the things that happen at MSG that isn't just hockey, isn't just basketball. You know, James Dolan has a lot of money, more than just that anybody would know what to do with. Um, Mm. Dolan, then then 58 back in 2013, allegedly used his power and influence on the tour to repeatedly manipulate and pressure Croft into submitting to blank with him. And I will also mention that the Associated Press, who I will be honest, I've gotten most of my information from, 
uh, does openly admit that normally we wouldn't say the name of the alleged uh, of the alleged victim in Miss Croft, but uh, they have come. She's come forward publicly and consented to be identified. So if she feels this confident, Cage, into putting her name out there, I will say you got to think there's smoke to that fire. If mm-hmm. she's willing to put herself into the limelight, because let's be honest, Gage, there's nothing worse than putting a, a, a criminal case against any athlete, regardless of what you're accusing them of or even owner, because you're going to get you're going to get hate from fans, even for of Nick of, of the Nick faithful. Some people are going to make sure Miss Croft does not have a, a real quiet moment you'd expect. I hope that doesn't happen, Cage, but the past kind of tells me that that's a very big possibility. Yeah. But anyway, we'll see what the NBA now does with this new allegation against James Dolan. And if they suspend him, if they force him to sell, kind of like what happened with uh, Donald Sterling, of formerly of the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, it, It'll be interesting to see what the NBA does as this investigation and um, court case move on and continue to, uh, I guess, continue to go down the correct avenues, the correct channels. Mm-hmm. The only thing I'm going to say about this is that anytime you're associated with Harvey Weinstein, Weinstein it ain't a good look. Because that man was a sexual, this that man was a predator. Not Dolan Weinstein. But anytime you're associated with him, and the fact that Kelly Croft came out publicly and said her piece, you gotta think there's, you gotta, I wouldn't, I would stop short of saying you gotta say there's, you gotta think there's truth to it. You gotta think there's smoke, like you said, you gotta think there's smoke to the fire. But we will let the court case take over. We will probably not talk about this again unless something big happens with James Dolan. If he somehow sells or if the NBA forces him to sell or if the NBA suspends him. Whatever the NBA does, we may cover. Other than that, we will just say we've seen what the the accusation made against James Dolan. And we'll see what happens as the court court case progresses. But now on to something, Cage, that I know you want to talk about since it happened. The Toronto Raptors played against the Los Angeles Lakers a little over a week ago. Oh, boy. Darko Ryakovic, head coach of the Toronto Raptors, in the 132-131 loss, went off. He, he went on anybody. It was a heel promo, and he got everybody. Everybody got a number. He started off with, in his presser, how is it possible that Scotty Barnes, who is a star, all-star caliber player in this league, he goes every single time to the rim with force and tries to get to the rim without flopping and not trying to get foul calls. He gets two free throws for the whole game. How is that possible? How are you going to explain that to me? And then, he, and then in brackets, the Lakers had to win tonight, question mark. If that's the case, just let us know so we don't show up for the game. Just give them the win. We That was not fair tonight, and this is not the first time it's happened to us. It's complete crap. 
And then he continued, Kate. That wasn't it. He wasn't done. And then after the Barrett um, illegal screen call late in the game, score 124-121 in favor of the Lakers. Scotty Barnes hits a three, waved off for an illegal screen by R.J. Barrett on Anthony Davis. And apparently Ryakovich got no explanation from the referees about the review. The review, They review it, and they see what they want to see. They don't want to hear what we've got to say. They don't want to hear the players. What happened tonight is complete BS. This is a shame. Shame for the referees. Shame for the league to allow this. I understand respect for all-star players and all of that, but we have star players on our team as well. Yeah, and obviously, Cage, with all of that, he was fined $25,000 for his comments on the NBA officials. Now, as much as I want you to comment on Darko Ryakovich and his blow-up, we had another one. And it was probably more comical of a blow-up because Coach Mike Brown, formerly former assistant of the Golden State Warriors, who was, as you mentioned, commented um, on our topic earlier of, of the death of uh, Marlon Jevich. Um, he had a massive blow-up, and he was fined $50,000 for his blow-up that happened just a couple days ago in a 143-142 overtime loss to the Milwaukee Bucks. He was irate with the referees, and he was a little bit more even, even keel after his ejection and his post-game presser, but here's what he had to say. The referees are human, and they're going to make mistakes. But you just hope, A, there's some sort of consistency. B, there's some sort of communication between the referees. And the referees tonight, they were great. They communicated with me all night. If you get communication and you get a form of consistency in the game, then you can live with, with, some, with some things. But the consistency I saw tonight wasn't, in my opinion, there. A simple oh, – and – Apparently, commenting on Sabonis being rather getting frequent foul calls because of his um, the way he goes vertical when trying to contest a shot. A simple basic rule of going vertical. I'm getting told two different things, and that is really inconsistent overall from the officials. We can't interpret a rule two different ways. And again, the comical part of this whole thing, Cajun, was at the presser, Mike Brown brought out a laptop and showed the foul calls to the reporters, was showing them the film study. Mike Brown pulled out the laptop and pulled a Belichick. We're going to do some film study in the presser cage. Damn. All right? Put on your glasses, Cage. You know, shine them up real good. We're going to have some film study at our presser tonight. That's some commitment. And he got, again, fined $50,000 for his tirade of ejection and then the comments after the game. Of course he did. Of course he did. So Cage, with those two coaches being rather irate with the referees during and after the game, you know, which game do you think was more egregious? I know you watched the Raptors game. I'm not sure if you watched the Kings game. And then go. you can go through the criticism individually because I know which one I want to really highlight. So you have actually, you know what? Take us wherever you want. Because my bias, because my bias is obvious with the Ravs, I'm gonna let you go first. Well, honestly, Cage, sadly, I was gonna go with the Kings angle because I love what Mike Brown said. I tell this to all of my friends. I tell this to all the people I speak to in the media industry. I don't complain about referees. 
I try my best to not complain about referees when I'm watching a sporting event, when I'm at a sporting event, when I if I was coaching. I never spoke to the referees. I don't need to speak to the referees. Yeah, you work them a little bit. Like, we should have got that call. You shouldn't have called that, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, that, that's a part of the game. But, you know, you don't explode at them. You don't yell at them. You don't cuss at them. You don't call them names. You don't, you, you don't, you don't go over a certain line, in my mind, with referees. Because they are human, and, you know, they do make mistakes, just like everybody else. The one thing Mike Brown said that I love is consistency. Mm-hmm. If you are consistent— you can be bad, but as long as you're consistently bad, I can't complain because I, I know what I get. I know what to expect. You know, Angel Hernandez is consistently garbage. So I know coming into the game that this game's going to be poorly officiated. And I know you have that same feeling with the NBA referees. So mm-hmm. it's not it's, – it, it's, it's a consistency thing. If you call something once, you best be prepared to call it every time now. Because I'm going to expect you to call it every time. Yeah. Like, if that Barrett screen, which I thought was soft, and obviously Anthony Davis sold it like he got shot out of a cannon. If that is a moving screen, I want that called every time. Because that happens at least eight times a game, Cage. You can't tell me a guy passes over a direct ball handoff and doesn't kind of keep moving forward as the guy tries to fight through it. Mm. That happens every game. That happens multiple times every game. If you're going to call it once, I want you to call it every time or you're going to hear me because that's ridiculous. You can't you can't call it once and not call it again. So let's be consistent. If you're going to be consistently bad, I'm OK with that. At least you're consistent. You you made a choice. We're going to stop this tonight. You know, if you're going to call a travel, you know, after a third, you know, on that, I'll say third step. I want that called every time then. And I don't care if that ruin if that, if that hits my team a bunch of times. I expect that to be called every time. Because if you call it once, I want to see the consistency throughout the game. So I'm with Mike Brown on that. You know, I want to see consistency. I want to see referees. Not as they just take accountability, but also just be okay with, you know, hey, I made a bad call here. Or, you know, that wasn't what I saw in real time. And again, if that happened, I feel like fans would be a majority of fans, not all, because you'll never have you'll never have all in anything. But a majority of fans, as much as they will groan, will will live with that if the referee goes, "Hey, you know that's my bad." Obviously, if it's the NBA championship, you're probably not going to get the benefit of the doubt, even if you apologize. But if it's a regular season game and it's like, "Hey, in real time, that's not the way I saw it from my angle. That's not the way it looked." You know, looking back at it, getting a replay at it, getting a second chance to look at it. That's not what happened. I shouldn't have called that or I should have called that. I think that's mm-hmm. fine. I think that's growing and learning. Just like, you know, you expect your players to. I expect the ref- referees to do the same thing. Learn and grow with every, you know, foul call, with every review, with every chance. You get a a, a second look at something. You get, a ch- you know, a chance to correct. Mm-hmm. But now, Cajun... Go ahead with the Raptors-Lakers game that I know you watched. Well, my problem wasn't with the calls on the Lakers game, although the Reeves one was just ridiculous, and, like, the Barrett one was just soft. Oh, you forgot to mention the IQ one, which you didn't even think was an offensive foul. 
Oh, the the man. So I'll explain quickly because on the score they had two specific fouls with the with the score um, explanation or the the article they wrote on Darko Ryakovich's rather explosive blow up at the presser. Emmanuel quickly collects the ball and his elbows are out. Yes, they are. But he's just doing a one-two, you know, collect one-two up to the rim, and Reddish like commits to getting in, getting it, getting in front. But then, like, kind of stops halfway, and his head connects with Quickly's elbow, and they're both moving towards each other, and they call it an offensive foul on Quickly. When in my mind, even though it is an elbow, and even though it makes contact to the head, that's Reddish's fault. Reddish is the one creating the problem. Quickly's not going to the defender. That doesn't make any sense. So calling that an offensive foul is dumb to me. I think that's a defensive foul, even though it's an elbow, even though it hits hits him in the head. That's Reddish's fault. Yes, I understand. You can't give him a free basket. You're right. But the reality is, is if you're going to try to stop him, try to get in front, try to stop the drive, you're going to get hit. If, mm-hmm. if it's a charge, that's a different conversation. But it wasn't a charge. So uh, what are we calling then? And and that's that's again where I just I didn't feel like it was an offensive foul. And not only did they call it an offensive foul, case, they called it a flagrant one offensive foul, which means it was a free throw and possession to the Golden State Warriors. It wasn't just possession change. It was a free free throw and a possession change. There's two free throws. Oh, two free throws for a flagrant one. I thought that was just a flagrant two. So a flagrant wow. one, two free throws and the ball for the Golden or for the uh, Los Angeles Clippers. Pardon me, the other team in goal. You know. It, and I, I, I watched the game, so I can't really comment other than the, the two plays I saw. But neither of those were, were exactly like, you know, oh, those are definitely fouls. Those are definitely, you know, 100 percenters. They were like Quickly's wasn't a foul, in my opinion, on him at the very mm-hmm. least. And Barrett's was you can argue it's a moving screen because that's technically what it is. But Anthony Davis definitely sold it, if you want to say that. And on top of saying he sold it, you know, that happens every game, multiple times a game, as I said, and I want you to call it then every time. If you're going to call it, then just make sure you call it every time because I want to see you call that every time now if you're going to start calling this now at 28 seconds left in a three-point game when we're about to score or looking to score and make it a a one-point game or a tie game. Yep. But now, Cajun, you have the floor. It's ridiculous to me that Anthony Data Davis got more free throws than the Raptors. Now that would have been a that would have been different. That would have been a lot. That would have been viable had the Raptors not attacked the rim. Except the Raptors had twenty more points in the paint and attacked the rim a whole bunch. So a 23 to 2 discrepancy at the free throw line in the fourth quarter, even with some of them being intentional fouls, some of them the Lakers, uh, some of them Anthony Davis sold it, uh, sold it a lot more. That shouldn't happen. And the Raptors outplayed the Lakers aside from that. They deserve to win that game. And you mentioned the uh, Emmanuel quickly flagrant. In a game that was decided by one, you could argue that made that could that was one of the fact one of the one of the reasons why 
the game ended as it was. It's obvious the NBA panders to bigger markets and, and, and their stars. But none were more obvious than that game. And my problem isn't with the calls, with the, with the calls that the Lakers got. If you're going to call it one way, call it the other. Because as much as LeBron wants to say they, they fouled more, we didn't. I'm like, that's a, that, that's a damn lie, and he knows it. The Lakers made contact with the Raptors. The Lakers made contact on Raptors drive. But the same calls weren't made. And that's the issue that I have. Where's the consistency, like you mentioned? The fact that Scotty Burns had two free throws that entire game is ridiculous. It's ridiculous to me. The fact that AD had more free throws than the Raptors, even though the Raptors actually attacked the paint more, is ridiculous to me. And we got to mention, and we got to mention the referee that was refereeing that game too, because he's had a history with the Raptors and especially Fred VanVleet, Ben Taylor, and it and Fred VanVleet was very. Very explicit in how he thought Ben Taylor was. So, I guess that's that for the Raptors-Lakers game because it happened a bit ago. The Mike Brown one, he made some great points. He want, you, you would honestly would want consistency. And I think he mentioned like a rule cha- the rule book in which you got to keep both hands straight up and ju- uh, jump straight up in terms of, like, the verticality rule. You can't have one arm up and then the, f- the forearm to, a- to the offensive player. And that, wasn't consistent- and that wasn't consistent. So Mike Brown made a great point. Mike Brown was dead on with how he just wants consistency. And I think we all do at the end of the day. We don't want this like, what's a foul? What's not a foul? Which game's going to be officiated right? Which game's going to be officiated wrong? Which game's going to be officiated differently? Like, we don't want these questions about officiating. We just don't, we just want to see basketball and not even talk about the officials. We should know officials by their first name, by their first and last name, unless they're in the news for like funny reasons. Yeah, like that fake fight that happened between Mark Cuban and that referee. That was a funny moment. You know, like stuff like that. Or James Williams looking like Gucci Mane. Stuff like that. Bill Kennedy laughing at Jokic kind of like shaking his butt at tip-off. Stuff like that. Well, anyway, we will move off of the NBA now. But before we go, Cage. Sports betting is rising, rapidly rising in, in popularity, and I want to connect you with all the opportunities to get started or get ahead. Having multiple sportsbook accounts is the most simple way to maximize your profits, and there's never been a better time to sign up. When you visit our page in signupexpert.com slash theoutrage, you'll be connected to all the sportsbooks in your region, not just where Cage and I are here in Ontario, your region, along with reviews of each platform and its unique benefits all these sports books have valuable sign up offers for users which you and i actually have had the chance to uh, maximize somewhat cage and when you register with through through our link you will automatically receive the top offers from each one 
When you use multiple sportsbooks, you ensure you can always access the best available odds, which is key to successful sports betting. Cajun, as a uh, player prop aficionado himself, he loves going through all the sportsbooks to find the best player props he can get and the best odds he can get at the player props. If you want to take advantage of these benefits and support our, support us here at the Outrage Inc., please consider signing up if uh, to uh, for your next sportsbook using our sign-up link, signupexpert.com slash theoutrage. The link will be in the description of this episode as it will be going on in the future. Uh, again, thank you, Sign-Up Expert, for the sponsorship here of Polar Opposites. And Cage, with that, I know mm-hmm. you've got some pipeline player props. We haven't talked about it in a while. So, Cage, what recently has been tickling your fancy, and what have you bet for tonight's slate of games? That includes the Memphis Grizzlies making their way to Minnesota, the Raptors playing host the Chicago Bulls. Got to be honest, Cage, the Bulls are favored in that game in Toronto against the Raptors. I don't know. I kind of like the money line for the Raptors. I know you're not a money line guy, but, you know, there might be some player props there I like. The Knicks play the Wizards at home. 12.5 point spread for the Knicks and the Wizards. Maybe some Knicks player props in their cage. What do you got for tonight's five games? Well, I do love me some turnovers. Because You do love you some turnovers. Players just love to turn the ball over. I have Jordan Poole over one and a half turnovers against the Knicks. He's at one and a half? Yes. I can't doesn't, believe it either. Does he doesn't he average like three turnovers a game? Sounds about right. Well, let me check, Cage. You know what? Let me let me just see give you the season average of Jordan Poole and turnovers. He averages two point three turnovers a game. It's at one and a half right now. I'm just saying. I'm, he's actually I'm, had one turn. He's actually had. He's like very good recently with his turnovers, Cage. So maybe you're wrong. Maybe maybe, maybe the one and a half is a good line with how, how how he's played recently. But I would also contest that the Knicks are rather talented. And the last time he had more than one turnover was against the Knicks. And now they mm-hmm. have OG and Anobi, who's a really good defender. So and then Dante G- Divincenzo too was a good fair. defender in his own right too. That's fair. So it wouldn't. I'd be shocked if he doesn't pull over. Do you got any other player props you uh you want to bestow us? Any more knowledge you want to drop? I do have one more. Actually, you know what? Maybe two. Ooh, Rudy Gobert over three and a half first quarter rebounds against the Grizzlies. Yeah. Oh, that seems like pretty easy money to me, even though I know three is it you said three and a half? Yep. Well, he averages twelve and a half a game. He's had no less than twelve in the last six games. So to think he has basically four in the first quarter, I think it's a pretty safe bet. Well, he also he also had five rebounds in the first quarter yesterday against Detroit. And now he's playing against another kind of Bottom feeding team in Memphis this season. And you want to know how I know that? Because I put it on him yesterday. Yeah, Cajun likes to use player props to like move the line. So he usually bets the same player prop like three or four games in a row. Like, I know he work. abused the uh, Osser Thompson turn blocks plus steals for the first time. Until Monty Williams decided to stop playing him. 
until Monty Williams put him to the bench. Yeah, exactly. And he said, we had one more cage. What, what's your last one? What's your third player prop? So you said one and a half turnovers plus for Jordan Poole. So take the over on the on the turnovers. You said over three and a half rebounds for Rudy Gobert. And what's the other over? Because I know you'd never go under. Scotty Barnes over two and a half turnovers. That is in tonight's game at home against the, the Bulls. He averages two and a half turnovers a game, Cage. He hasn't had over... Ooh, actually, he's been rather turnover-prone the last three games. He's had three, four, and five turnovers in his last uh, three games. So maybe he has another good one, Cage. I don't know. That's, that's part of my five-game parlay. As Cajun continues, I will mention, you know, the reason why Cajun does it and not me is because Cajun actually makes money sports betting. I do not. So, well, do not consistently, at least. Cajun consistently makes a little bit of dough when it comes to his betting of the sports. Oh, I also do have one more. Colin Sexton oh. over 26 and a half points, re- rebounds, and assists. So that is points, rebounds, and assists. So meaning he does have total with all three of those stats over 26 and a half. That sounds, even though Colin Sexton is not like much of a passer for Utah, I think that's pretty easy, isn't he? He's averaging like 20 a game right now. Well, I have. Oh, no, he's actually averaging 17 a game. But he had 30 points against Indiana and 27 points against the Lakers most recent games. He has gone over in four straight games. Yeah. And that's in limited minutes, too. He hasn't played more than 27 minutes in any one of those four games. Well, Utah's been blowing out a bunch of teams, so there's that. I mean, hey, when you've got, you know, Laurie Markinen. Yeah, and they're actually on a six-game winning streak right now are the Utah Jazz as they play Oklahoma City tonight in Utah. In Salt Lake. Yes, sir. But uh, so now we'll move off the sports betting. And again, I will mention to say now, please do not gamble what you can afford to. Please gamble what you can afford to lose. Do not overextend. If please seek out your local, you know, gambling restrictions. If you make sure what you're, you know, over 18, like you're in Canada, over 18, you know, make just make sure you're doing this the right way, and you're doing this mindfully. And you do not um, overextend, which is rather sadly easy to do. Mm -hmm. Also, to make this official, the NBA has now postponed the Mavericks-Warriors game for tomorrow. So the Warriors will now not play tomorrow. They did not play yesterday. So that is the last two games that have been postponed, and they will be moved to a later date for the Golden State Warriors, who have played a grand total of 40 games this year. That means their next available game cage is the 24th at home against the Atlanta Hawks. So it'll be basically almost 10 days since their last game since they've lost to Memphis on the 15th. If, you know, when, if they don't re- reschedule one of those two games for a date between uh, between tomorrow the 19th when they're supposed to play Dallas and the 24th when they're supposed to, when they're supposed to play Atlanta. We'll see if there's a game added or if they just stick to they'll come back on the 24th and they'll add those two games against Utah away from away from home and at home against Dallas at a later date. Mm. 
But uh, I do want to mention the college ranks a little bit because, again, a lot, and I mean a lot of motion has continued in both the men's and women's brackets. As the most recent AP poll came out on Monday and moved some teams around. Connecticut, number one team in the nation. After, and I'm, and I'm going to go through this, Cage. Purdue lost. They lost to Nebraska. Kansas, they lost to UCF. Did, uh, North Carolina actually has gone on a winning streak. They're now up to number four in the nation. U- UConn, number one in the nation. Their most recent loss was against Seton Hall back in December. So they're in a six-game heater. Houston. I'm not sure if they were undefeated last time we spoke. They're no they're no longer undefeated. They lost to Iowa State and TCU. They lost 57-53 to Iowa State, 68-67 to TCU to their first uh two of their first three games in the Big 12 this season. They actually just crushed Texas Tech, number 25 in the nation, 77-54 though. So, we'll see where they end up being ranked with their first two losses of the season. Mm-hmm. Tennessee's lost also recently. They lost to Mississippi State on the 10th. I believe Kentucky's lost recently. Yes, they have. They lost to the Texas A&M Aggies, 97-92. So a bunch of top-tier programs, Cage, have really, you know, picked up a couple losses recently. Basically, everybody has picked up a couple of losses. And I will mention, my Bulldogs of Gonzaga down in Spokane are no longer ranked in the top 25. They have fallen out of the rankings with a couple big losses in conference in the AAC. Or no, pardon me, in the WCC, in the West Coast Conference. Mm-hmm. But a lot of big losses. And I think the one team I didn't mention, Cage, is Arizona. Arizona lost two in a row, or lost to Washington State on the 13th. And they also lost to FAU, as mentioned, then lost to Stanford big, which we talked about. So couple more losses for the Arizona Wildcats has dropped them down to 12 in the Although most they recent. they did back with a win over USC. That they did, but USC is actually very, very hurt right now. Uh, you mentioned that game. In that game for USC, their top two players in Boogie Nelson and um, Isaiah Collier weren't playing. Boogie Nelson and Isaiah Collier are both hurt. So USC is battered as well. Mm-hmm with injuries at this particular point in the season. So their 8-10 eight, eight and ten record, I don't think it's really indicative of how talented USC is this year. It is just that when you play against a lot of really good teams and you're not fully healthy, you don't really got a good chance of winning a whole lot of games. And I will mention, TCU, who's now ranked after their big wins against Houston, they lost to Cincinnati yesterday. Baylor lost to Kansas State yesterday, number nine in the nation. They pick up a loss. Iowa State was now ranked after their win against Houston. They lose to BYU. They're going to be unranked in the next AP poll. Wisconsin, number 11. They lose to Penn State in Big Ten play. They're now going to be probably, they're going to fall down the pole. Utah State, losing to New Mexico. The Lobos, another ranked team going down. A lot of movement coming up in the next AP poll. Illinois also lost recent, semi-recently. Mm-hmm. And it's it's just been... All over Madness. the place. It's it's yeah. It's been it's been rather ridiculous. In the men's side and the women's side, it's really no different. Just yesterday, 
Iowa State, number 24, they go down to Texas Tech. Marquette, the Golden Eagles, they go down to Villanova. So two ranked teams lose yesterday. I will also mention that a ranked team got a free win. The number seven Kansas State Wildcats beat the TCU Horn Frogs because TCU didn't have enough players to dress. They didn't have enough healthy student athletes to play the game. So Kansas State got the free win and move on in Big 12 play. Um, no, no, like top, uh, I'll say top 10 teams have lost to unranked opponents recently. But in around the top 10, Virginia Tech lost to Florida State in some ACC play. 89-81, the 21 Seminoles beat the number 11 Hokies. You then go down to Colorado. They beat Stanford 71-59. So Cameron Brick and her uh, Stanford Cardinals couldn't get a big win against this top-ranked Colorado team. Also moving down to more ranked-on-ranked games, USC finally beat their in-state rival UCLA 73-65. They finally, you know, give the first blemish to the UCLA Bruins, who are now down to fifth in the nation. The only undefeated team in the top 25 in the women's side cage is the South Carolina Gamecocks. And Coach Don Staley continues to just impress with her team down in Columbia, South Carolina. They still are rolling. They still are rolling, but man, the upsets that are happening all over the the men's and women's side, holy, like, I was like, where do I start? I will also mention that on Saturday, January 13th, the Baylor Bears, number four in the nation, went down to Iowa State 66-63. So that's why they fell from four all the way down to 12 in the most recent AP poll. Mm. Just adding to that, Texas lost to Kansas State, who moved up from 12 to 7. They were 12 at the time when they played Texas. We'll also mention Iowa is now number two in the nation because of the loss of UCLA. They crushed Indiana three versus 14. Caitlin Clark had 30 points in the 84-57 win for the Hawkeyes. And it, as you mentioned, Kate, just a lot of movement going around in both sides of the AP polls, more on the men's side than the women's side. But, you know, at this point, you got to be thinking, does South Carolina pick up a loss in conference play? You got to think they might. Playing everybody twice, but you never really know, especially with Don Staley, who's had NBA interest before and is a really good coach, is Coach Don Staley. Mm -hmm. But I think, Cage, that'll do it for us. Yeah, anything else you want to have before we go? I think that's it. That's it. We're through. We run out of stuff. So we'll move out. For Cajun Theru, Thanny Castlem, I'm Spencer Byers. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of Polar Opposites here on The Outraging.